Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry, the legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free, and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Join Parker Seminars in the heart of Las Vegas, February 21st through the 23rd, for an incredible three days of growth, education, and inspiration. Featured among our 37 speakers are world-renowned evidence-based leaders, Dr. Craig Liebenson and Dr. Stuart McGill. The Parker Seminars Las Vegas has the people shark Damon John and Baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. sharing their unprecedented insights on leadership and success. Please visit parkerseminars.com and use our special promotional code CLV50 to receive $50 off our unheard of Las Vegas single attendee registration price. Register today. Welcome everybody to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and today we have, before we get started, a special announcement. Forward has itself a new sponsor, and this is no normal, regular, run-of-the-mill sponsor selling a widget or anything like that. Not that we don't love our widgets and our sponsors that sell widgets, <laughs> but this sponsor's huge. Supporting Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, is the American Chiropractic Association, the ACA. Uh, the ACA has an event, the National Chiropractic Leadership Conference, and they want you to attend it. So they've thrown tons of offers your way, and they want to make sure they get the word out because time is running out for you to get a good price and set everything up to be at NCLC 2019. Here is what they want me to tell you. NCLC 2019 is leading chiropractic into the future. Make your plans now to attend ACA's annual meeting in Washington, D.C. It's happening January 16th through the 19th. Earn up to 12 CE credits from 20 innovative and evidence-based sessions. Advance rates end December 18th. That's coming up soon. Find out more at acatoday.org backslash NCLC 2019. And uh, the timing couldn't be better because today we are going to be interviewing uh, one of the presenters at NCLC 2019, and not just a presenter, but the presenter of the McAndrews Leadership Lecture. And if you don't know the, uh, the origin of the McAndrews Leadership Lecture, uh, it, it's George and Jerome McAndrews. Uh, they were leaders, and they contributed to the chiropractic profession in multiple and many different ways. Uh, Jerome McAndrews, a chiropractor, and he's held su substantial leadership roles in the chiropractic profession. His brother, George, was the lawyer who administered a permanent injunction forbidding the American Medical Association's restraint of trade towards the chiropractic profession, which we all learned about in chiropractic college, the American Medical Association's attempt to, uh, for more or less, destroy chiropractic by letting it wither on the vine in an antitrust manner. Uh, this So the ACA has made the McAndrews Leadership Lecture the honor of their, sort of their keynote speaker. And uh, today on our podcast, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Bill Morgan, who is the president of Parker University, who is 
going to be giving that lecture. Uh, this interview that you're about to hear uh, happened way before I even knew he was going to be giving this lecture, so we're not talking about it specifically, uh, but this should be a teaser for you to go to NCLC and catch this lecture firsthand uh, from Dr. Morgan. And uh, that's my little preview. I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll talk to you soon. And hopefully we'll see you out at NCLC. Take care. Welcome everybody to Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and he doesn't know it, but I'm announcing it right now. It is, it's a Legends episode the legend series with Dr. Bill Morgan, president of Parker University. And there probably isn't anybody else who would fit the legend category as easily as you, Dr. Morgan. So it's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor of mine. I'm excited. So thanks, um, thanks Bobby for having me. No, this is great. And you're on video and it's like, uh, this is an audio thing, but I get to see you talking in a beautiful office and you're bored of, they have beautiful leather chairs. It's great. Yeah, we, don't, we don't mess around here at Parker. <clears throat> the sun is out and shining. It's great. It is. Um, yeah. I, we have to ask, as we ask all the legends, where'd you go to school? Palmer West. Oh, wow. Yes, great. California. Um, so I was, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, tell me so about yeah, Palmer I, West back then. I was uh, been in the military, gotten out, and was going to college, and had planned to become a physical therapist, and... I herniated my disc in my L5S1 and orthopedist and physical therapists weren't able to help, weren't, were not able to help me. And um, I went to this chiropractor, very professional, very thorough. I mean, this guy was the epitome of what you would want in a, in a, in a professional doctor. And within a week, I'm 90% better. And the whole concept of wellness and health and exercise and avoiding drugs and natural healing appealed to me. He went to this place in Davenport, Iowa, he called Palmer, which he recommended I go there. I considered that for a nanosecond <laughs> and uh, found out there was, a, there, was, there was two other colleges in Northern California where I lived in Danville, California at that time. And, uh, you know, I visited the two and definitely Palmer West was the, uh, the school for me. And at that point, it was, it was like a... Uh, percolating ground for, for great chiropractors. There's Bill Meeker was there. We had all oh, yeah. sorts of the people um, who, who later came went on to be some of the great leaders in the profession had been, been there at that time. It was, it was a really great time to be at Par Palmer West. Kind of like how Parker is right now. Yeah, look at you throwing in a plug. Very well played. <laughs> um, what's the why with Parker? What, what do you get out of it? I mean, we're going to go through so much of your resume and your history, but but Tell me the Parker piece, where that fits in. Why did I come here? Yeah. Well, it's, this is really the only place I could come or would want to come. Um, I, I kind of viewed my practice as reaching the high watermark as far as uh, integrated healthcare. I've been in five hospitals. I treated three um, occupants of the White House. I've been treating astronauts. I treated th 36 presidential candidates, Supreme Court justices, probably three or 400 members of Congress. And uh, looked around, like, you know, I suspected more people on the way to get, get to that level. And it just, I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't seeing chiropractors integrate into mainstream healthcare, going to the hospitals. 
Um, in fact, it was odd. There's, there's a group of chiropractors who, who would actually show disdain for me going into hospitals um, because, you know, the whole metapractor thing. And it's like, are you kidding me? That's where the sick people are. Why That's would you right, not yeah. want to go and adjust people? But anyway, I've kind of felt that I had reached that, you know, pretty good place in, in my practice and others weren't going there. And I wanted to go back down and show, how, show folks how to get there. I've had conversations with some um, higher ups in the profession lately, and they do seem to have a recurring theme, you know, whether it's with an organization, a state organization or a national organization, all these people, the researchers, everyone who's trying to do really good work for the profession, but they all seem to come up with the same problem. And that is the youth, uh, whether it is, I don't know if it's necessarily a motivating the youth issue because these youth seem to be quite motivated, the students and the young graduates, it's, it's like they're trying to find their place and, and we're missing this mentorship piece to get them into these halls that you talk about. Uh, is that part of this why for, for taking uh, on the, the, well, I think you have to be able to show them, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, um, it's like, the, it's like the four minute mile, you know, yeah. thousand years, nobody broke it. As soon as, as soon as it was broken within months, a dozen other people had broken, broken it. It was a, it was a mental barrier. If you see it, you can do it. So I, you know, and I think people haven't seen it and they don't know, you know, most people don't know the story and you can, you know, you can, you know, the hospitals, especially right now, best time to be a chiropractor in our lifetime, the Lancet um, journal that came out really denouncing the use of not just opiates, but all drugs start with adjustments, start with exercise, start with cognitive therapy. Then maybe you can even do NSAIDs, but you know, rarely should you do epidural injection surgery or opiates. Um, the study that I was participated in, we, I was in the largest study ever conducted. We published it in JAMA earlier this year. You know, when you put a chiropractor involved in in a, in a integrated system, the the results are much better. Absolutely, chiropractic. It, it's, it's it's an exciting time to be a chiropractor. The study out of Norway showing the preventive the value of maintenance care for the prevention of low back pain. Um, we've got a lot of weight right now. And we need to go into the hospitals, into the mainstream healthcare, and be part of that, that algorithm of care. Start with the chiropractor. And then if that doesn't do it, then you move on to something else. But we really need to start with us. It, it, it's sort of, it's like, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, for my personal opinion, I think there's a modicum of critical thinking that's missing from the educational process for the chiros. In, in your experience with the Parker students, do you see that changing from my I, personal experience? It, when I came up in the, in the early two thousands, there was a huge push. We need to make these critical thinking, clinical scientists, practitioners. And then I look back uh, now about 13 years and that piece seems to have fallen off somewhere. I don't know where it went. It's, it's weird. It's, it's, we're, re, re, we're uh, rewriting the curriculum here at Parker. And one of the things I really want to have them come out, of course, patient-centered, evidence-based, critical thinkers. Now, right now, we just started a class. Our, our, our first try class has 208 students in it. Whoa. Um, yeah, right? Biggest, biggest uh, class, I think, for any chiropractic college in, in many years, certainly. Uh, but here's the crazy thing is we raised our standards, and I went to recruiters that – if somebody comes with this one cause one cure, they probably need to go to one of these other two schools. If they're if they are want to be medic, medical doctors, they should go to these other two schools or go to a medical school. But we are right where the evidence is. This is where we're at. Um, you know we you know we uh, 
we're chiropractors. We, we, you know, we don't, you know, we don't use drugs. We want natural healing. We want to remove the barrier to healing. That's what we do. But I've attracted a lot. Today, I gave out 93 scholarships um, to our first try class. We, wow. we have a larger class, but it's a very smart class. We, at one point, we had several hundred people trying to get into this class. And um, we, we have this, this, we've raised our standards and, and people are attracted to that. So we have lots of students with kinesiology degrees and biology degrees and, other, and, and exercise phys degrees. So these are students that come to us with critical thinking. The, the best way to have a great graduate is to recruit a great student. That's and, absolutely right. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> it is. And, and you got to think of these young, these young undergrad students that, you know, they're, they're kinesiology students or biology students or chemistry students. And they're shopping around for what, what am I going to do after my undergrad to expand my education? And, you know, you look at one profession and it's got its certain requirements and you've got another profession that has its requirements. Then you look at chiropractic and like they're consumers. And if the, if the requirements are lower than everywhere else, they might, they might think, huh, maybe that's a lower value profession to go into. You know what I'm getting at there? It's like Groucho Marx says, he'd never want to be a member of a club that would accept him as a member. Yeah, I, I saw that quote the couple, a couple of days ago, and I had to think about that. I'm like, there's got to be a backstory to that somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, it's, the irony is, is the higher the, the, you raise the standard, you're going to attract a higher quality person and more of them. Yeah, he was in the, it was the Shriners, right? Oh, that was probably it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, so offensive. <laughs> I think the Shriners do great work. I'm truly a friend, offended Groucho, but, um, but it's true. You, it, they're customers. And uh, if you have high standards, you're going to attract high standard people. Um, and also you have some interesting programs at Parker as well. Uh, like this new neurology master's degree. How, how do people in, implement that into their careers? Truly, We have 21 programs. We're going to add probably another four or five this year. Our master's program, we have two master's degrees in neurology and we're going to have one that's straight up a neurology master's degree and the other will be clinical neuro neurology and gotcha. it'll have a, a resident a residency component to it and we, there's a real need for that because in this thing called functional neurology there's some really amazing things that are going on in the, with neuroplasticity and then there's some funny things going on there we, we extrapolate way past where the evidence is um, we would like to make this a high standard um, neurology program where we stick to a really strict series of, of um, you know, high standard of academics and scholarly work so that you come out, you understand neurology so you know how to apply different therapies to for spinal rehab or not for neuro rehab. And, and I really think that, you know, chiropractic is, as, as you know, is founded on neurology, not on bones. Um, so we should own this. We should we should be the experts for uh, conservative neurological uh, rehabilitation. And the good news is, you know, chiropractic. You know, this, this study just came out showing chiropractic adjustments um, helping people with cerebral palsy. But then there's there's other things that we want to learn how to you know how to um, help this large group of populate this large population of people with deficit usually if if you're if you're going to a, a doctor and they're giving you neurotin um you've already lost the you're 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 not getting better you're giving you something to, to manage the, the symptoms and i pretty much know that if i see a patient that is on neurotin or an opioid my um 
my prognosis is going to slide down a really very a steep hill very fast. Yeah. There's only so much you can do at that point. And our students really love neurology and a lot of them are involved with Because it's awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, real awesome. neurology is awesome. It it really is. And you know, chiropractors should own neurology. So yeah. we're we have so many students who want to sign up for it. I've got and here's here's what there's a whole other world of, of allied health I didn't even know existed out there who are into functional neurology audiologist, speech pathologist, occupational therapist, um, op, uh, optometrist. There's a whole culture of neuro rehab with eye movement therapy that the optometrists are in. Involved. I didn't even so know they that. want to take our, our master's program. So that, that program may, ri- may rival our uh, DC program pretty quick. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> so I had the pleasure of one of my first Parker seminars to see Wayne Dyer speak. And uh, Wayne Dyer, before he passed away, he wrote a book and had a movie called The Shift. And, and, and in The Shift, he talks about how our, our lives change as we age. You know, stereotypically, men tend to be more oh, yeah. self, self-focused, you know, and dominating and winning and, and, and success-focused. And then as we age, we, we tend to become much more focused on the people around us and making sure that we leave a better place and legacy and things like that. And when I look at your background, can you speak to that? Because your it's like we start with the military and then we are the chiropractor to Congress and the president and Navy football and we're at the White House and Camp David and the Pentagon. Who was that for? Was that for you or was that for your country? Where did you where do you feel like all that stuff fit in? Oh, as far as that happening? Yeah. Um, were you trying to dominate the world of chiropractic or was it was it really you know, a there's service? certain things that just happened to you, you know, you you, I couldn't have planned that. It's good to, to do any of those things. Right. Virtually every position like that, I was asked. I, here's how I got my start in integrative medicine, or healthcare, I should say, because I've never practiced medicine. Um, but I was invited to, this, this patient comes in, and he had, he had back pain, so I worked him up, but I was in private practice. And uh, I worked him up, gave him my report of findings, and he goes, oh, you know, I do have some back pain, but that's not why I'm here you've got a pretty good reputation in town and we're opening up this, this multidisciplinary clinic and we'd like to have a chiropractor in it. And he offered me a, a, a gig two days a week. So I thought, fine, I'll do that. So I, you know, my wife and I, she's a chiropractor also. We were, we were practicing at this other clinic where we're still maintaining our practices. Then it was bought by a hospital. So I said, well, I guess we're done here. You go, no, the hospital actually <laughs> wants to have a specialty clinic in the hospital and work this. And then it was bought by a hospital uh, system. And then, so we, I just kept going up the chain. And then I found um, Bethesda Naval was looking for a chiropractor. So I applied for that and got that. I started seeing members of Congress. Then they started having me come to their clinic at the, there. And then uh, one thing led to another. And another doctor one day calls me up and says, uh, Bill, we'd like to look at, look at these MRs for this patient. And uh, turns out this was a patient that, from the White House. And so that, that's pretty much how it works out. It's you, you go out there and you do things. And if you, you know, success, success is not something you pursue. You, you pursue excellence. You attract success. Yeah. So well, people are going to say you're lucky. That yeah. Bill Morgan guy, he was lucky. No, I was lucky. Luck but is where you, preparation meets opportunity, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, you, you know, and, and you, you attract success. You don't pursue it. So it's like we were talking before the call, you know, your practice is getting busier and busier. You're a successful person. You're attracting it. Your people yeah. desire, you know, that, that, and they will seek it out. 
what I tell students when I give talks these days, <clears throat> I recently gave one at the University of Western States, and I tell them that um, it's really important for them to know who they are to, to start with that understanding of who they are as a person. Uh, I think that's where the confidence comes from first because it gives you the ability to understand when to say yes and when to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, like, does that fit my personal philosophy or my personal direction and things like that? It took me a long time to figure that out. In the beginning, I thought you just took every patient and you tried everything and you did everything and, you know, you accepted all insurance plans and uh, you went to every marketing event and that was like running on a treadmill. When I started speaking my own truth, uh, things took off in a trajectory I could never imagine. You were authentic. Yeah. You know, I the authenticity and the congruence, the congruence of what I was saying, yeah. When I was in private practice, I remember I started getting these referrals from this one particular patient I'd seen. And I looked back and I, you know, I really couldn't remember who this patient was. And I go, but I'm getting all these referrals. So I, I went back in the records, looked it up, and here's a patient that I did not accept. Didn't charge him for the visit. You know, I don't think I can help you. No charge for the visit. And he would tell people, you know, if he can't help you, he'll let you know. Yeah. And I got, I had more referrals from that patient than any of my others. <laughs> I, t- I tell people, you, you, you build your reputation on the patients you lose money on. And it's not like um, this conversation around certainty, you know, it, it's not that. Like I have no certainty whatsoever. Every morning I wake up, I think it's a different day and another chance, and there's so much more to learn. Um, and, and you had told me one time, you said, the certainty thing kind of sticks in your craw a little bit because certainty to you equals just not being curious anymore. You got it. And, um, and, and I had to sleep on that a couple days. I, I don't think I've ever been like that, but now I see it everywhere I look because so many people will tell these young docs, you've, you just got to be certain. You've got to be certain in what you're doing. And I don't think you have to be certain at all. I think confidence is very important. Uh, but I'll always have an open mind to explore is, is probably even more important because the world is changing very fast. And if you're not flexible enough to change with it, you're going to be stuck in the mud. Really? And the student, the students at this stage, they want certainty. And you know what? There's well, of course they do. There. This is a weird subject, you know, chiropractic oh, yeah. is not easy, um, but yeah. no one's going to, no one's going to feed you the absolute answer. Well, if you, te- if you, so they love it when somebody says, no, you draw the line on this x-ray and that's where the <laughs> subluxation is. You're going to adjust that with certainty. That's the subluxation. Well, they love it, but yeah. then you lose curiosity. Is that really where the subluxation, is that the primary problem? It's, it, it's reproducible. I can, I can show that to the patient and it's, it, it's easy to, to move forward with it. But as we learn more, we realize, well, that's probably not necessarily always the truth. That's, it's, you, you have, there's confidence. You want confidence, yeah. but you also remain curious. Now, the other side of that, you'll have scientists who, will never, who can never be nailed down to saying anything positive, that we do anything. You know, it's, right. it's all very vague to them. And, and um, so there's, there's two extremes. There's the person who's dogmatic and really thinks they own it all, and there's a person who's, who's really vague and can never, never be nailed down that we can help anybody. Yeah, I just interviewed Craig Liebenson and he, I think the way he posted, he phrased it was uh, the, the profession is like a loaf of bread and there are heels on each end, <laughs> right in the middle is where the good bread is, you know? That's true. You know, it's, 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 it's true. We don't want to, and there's self-righteousness on the, the uh, on both sides and the far right. And oh, the far sure. left, extremely self-righteous individuals there who are critical of anybody who doing things like they do. And as you practice long enough, you, you, you gain a, a great deal of humility. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and if you don't, uh, someone's going to feed it to you on a plate. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you, yeah. You will get humbled one way or the other. <laughs> Pain Zone, my friends. You want some free samples? Check them out. iPainZone.com. I highly recommend them. I use Pain Zone myself. A company that is dedicated to the professional. You're not going to find these products at a web on a website or on a, at a big box store. They're for you and you only, so you can control the quality of the products you recommend to others. And don't forget to Check us out. Pain Zone sponsors the Pain Zone Finish at the end of the podcast where we summarize what we've learned from today's episode. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new sponsor. And for their ad, they're going to make me say a whole bunch of big words. So let's give this a shot. Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave. Did you know that shockwave therapy is effective for more than just plantar fasciitis? This cutting-edge technology has delivered impressive success rates in several research studies, including Achilles tendinopathy, lateral epicondylopathy, greater trochanteric pain syndrome, plantar fasciitis, patellar tendinopathy, calcific tendinitis of the shoulder. Once again, advanced musculoskeletal therapies, home of the miracle wave, offers acoustic and shockwave technology. We're proud, to, they are proud to support the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and welcome an opportunity to educate members on how this technology can improve patient outcomes and drive revenue for your practice. If you're interested, and you should be, contact Gerhard, Mary Edna, and the team at AMT at 770-612-8245, that's 770-612-8245, or by email at info at amttherapies.com to set up a free consult. And thank you guys so much for supporting the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. Your wife, Claire, does she, does she have a specific thing that she focuses on in practice? She's still practicing, right? Since she didn't have a Texas license, she ah, worked yeah. with me at Walter Reed. And it was, was, we, would, uh, we were both on faculty. So they got for, a two-for-one on that deal, huh? Oh, my gosh. They did <laughs> get a two-for-one. Well, we had, we had um, students from all – I was on faculty of a medical school there, too. So I'd, I'd have medical students rotate with me. Had I think nine different chiropractic colleges would have students come rotate with me. Well, Claire would Claire would take students up to the the behavioral health ward, the psych ward, uh-huh. in the hospital, and uh, pretty amazing stuff from that. And I would love to do research with chiropractic adjustments on folks in behavioral health. And um, you know, I I'm not a real fuzzy guy, but when I see her adjust someone, and you see they're laying down, the lights are off. And they come back up. It's like you know what? There's something there. She did. There's something changed in that person. It may be that, that they were touched in a loving manner. That, you know that they needed that, not the drugs that the, the medical guys were giving them sure. or the psychoanalysis. That someone touched them. They they got the adjustment. They got up and, and it's, they they liked it. And I am. I'd love to do a study to show if you put chiropractic care in people in behavioral health wards, could you reduce the or eliminate the need for medications? There's a there's a enough of a scientific foundational basis to do those sort of things, especially and, and I don't I you know, we go back to the certainty thing. The the folks who just sort of don't want to learn the new 
quote unquote new stuff because it's already been, it's been around forever, but say, mm-hmm. let's take the pain science concepts from neurology or the, the, the nociceptive concepts of pain. Uh, yes. You would take Butler and Mosley and, and we talk about their protectometer and the biopsychosocial model of pain and all of these right over there, <laughs> right of these things here that would lead to the increased risk of nociception or the increased risk of experiencing a painful phenomenon. It makes sense that in a cycle, a psych ward, that if you reduce that quote unquote protectometer or reduce their biopsychosocial exposure to the risk of pain, that they would have a positive outcome. Now, how can you measure, you know, all that stuff is left to the science scientists that I'm not, but uh, if you could measure that, that would be amazing. And I think there's a, there's a reasonable, what I'm really trying to get at is these folks that are certain, but they don't want to study the new stuff because they think if you just push a bone, everything's fine. If they caught up with the new science, they would actually really kind of just confirm what they already believed. I, I agree. It goes full circle. The, uh, we have a couple uh, PhD scientists, chiropractors, who are going to help us with our master's degree. And most, I mean, when we get to, we get to the subluxation theory, they're they are pretty strong. I think you would find they could advocate for subluxation quite well. In yeah. fact, and I asked them, "Well, so are you guys evidence based?" And they, "Oh no, please don't call me that. I'm a scientist." And <laughs> they're working on you know nerve interference and the, the the feasibility of it. And one was even talking about your ribs being out, being able because location of the anatomic chain the um, autonomic nervous system that a rib out can cause irritation. You can conceivably get have visceral issues from the rib out more than a vertebra being out or irritated when I say out, you know, having irritation. Yeah. 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 It's a euphemism. Yeah. 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 yeah it is. A oh, euphemism. We use that euphemism in Portland up in Oregon all the time. Every, every patient I ever see has a rib out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's a joke with me and my wife. Let me guess. They had a rib out. Yeah. yeah everybody, <laughs> every doctor in town uses that phrase. It's okay. Yeah. We know what you mean. <laughs> it's true, though. I've had, um, you know, when it rains, it pours. You've been in practice long enough. You'll see one patient, and then the next five patients you'll see will have the same complaint. And uh, last week was rib week. The week before that was shoulder, was rotator cuff stuff. But this last week was rib week. And, it, you know, all the way down to people having angina or what they thought were heart attacks and going in and getting checked. And it's like, nope, it might be a visceral response, but I think it's your chest wall, your ribs. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's amazing. It, you know, and, and with it, you know, we, we don't put limitations on, on chiropractic or what we do, but we also don't make wild uh, promises. Yeah. It's I, like a huge responsibility. You, as a chiropractor, you've been granted the permission to ch- like choose your own adventure. Like there's yeah. so much you can do and it's amazing. So you've got this tremendous responsibility as well to not abuse that. <laughs> You know, be, be the yummy bread. Don't be a heel. Be the yummy bread. Yeah. I had a, I, some friends of ours. Her son had a, a uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Couldn't leave the house. Just horrible. You know, really affected them adversely. And they ran to a chiropractor down in Virginia who promised them he could cure it. Promised. Uh-huh. And this kid had, had had you know terrible terrible bowels for years. And I, I said, I'm a chiropractor. I'll adjust him for free. And just you know, bring him in. This guy has great results. And you know. So long story short, tens of thousands of dollars later and all sorts of, of tests and, and treatments and at the end they couldn't help him, help him. And he just said, hmm, that's the first one who didn't get better. Um, you know, it, <laughs> right. but he, promised, he promised them he could, he could heal them. Now, if he had said, 
let's do a trial of treatment and we'll see yeah. what happens. That's, that's ethical. Yeah, that's right. But the, making an un, un, a unsubstantiated promise, that's not. This is a lot like relationships. Uh, it's relationship management and you have to manage people's expectations. Just, just like when you were courting the lovely <laughs> Morgan, it's like you had to manage the expectations. You couldn't just roll up in a Mercedes and take her to the most expensive restaurant. She would have expected that or she yes. would have been like not interested. But you let her know. I'm a working man. Were you guys both in the military at the time? She was, I met her in chiropractic college. Met her in chiropractic college. Yep. You know, you got to manage. So she knew. She knew you were a student. Yeah. <laughs> so you had student budget. Um, but you got to do that with patients too. You have like, we're trial of care. This is what we're going to try to do. Procedures, alternatives, risks. Do you have any questions? This is, you know, you manage the expectations. But if you start promising stuff to people, you might find yourself in trouble real fast. Oh, truly. What um, you have probably seen more interesting cases than we could even like. There isn't even a bottle of scotch that could cover the stuff that you've seen. Well, I don't know. There's there's some some nice twenty five year McClellan might might loosen it up. I, I can <laughs> pretty certainty that I've treated more amputees than any other chiropractor in the world. Since we were at Walter Reed during the uh, the height of the war, eighteen hundred amputees coming through. I learned a lot about treating amputees and about phantom limb pain and about that aspect of it. Uh, gunshot wounds, phantom limb pains, um, pain syndromes, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. There's a strong emotional component with an injury that sometimes you lock in the experience. Like if you had your arm lost it in a fiery explosion, a lot of times they're reliving that fiery explosion is in the phantom limb pain. It, it locks in the sensation and getting past that is really difficult. Absolutely. And working, oh yeah. So you know, using mirror therapies and you know adjustments, and and then um, mirror therapy is quite 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 amazing as well. That's um, you know, there's a uh, I won't get in the, in the details of, of it, but your 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 brain, your homunculus, your brain has is has mapped out certain portions of your of your body, so you're missing it. Nature pours a vacuum, so it it will fill in the blanks. It'll create its own sensation. And if it had a strong emotional tie or event that took place when they lost it, it might lock in that sensation. And um, so, but there's, there's treatments for it that are very effective, but also treating, you know, mo the, the most common um, symptom from an amputee a below the uh, a lower extremity amputee is back pain, more so than limb pain or phantom limb pain, low back pain. And I, and I can talk in, in depth at that, but so, and 25% of them have severe back pain. Yeah, and chiropractic helps them a great deal. Is a big piece of that the the prosthetic and its fitting, or or the way that a prosthetic can change its fitting over the daytime over the the course of a day? That that does affect it because it, it changes. But we've actually have these suction devices. There's the, the modern prosthetics. You can actually you can it'll it'll actually mold around it and you can pump it and change it. Pump but and click. There's is, some yeah. If you lose, you know, I'll, I'll go detail here. So if you lose, if you have an above the knee amputation. Most of the extensors attach low to the leg, but your psoas attaches high to the femur. So let's say you've been, had it blown off, you're laying in bed, and you don't have the weight of your leg, so your psoas starts constricting and that femur starts rising. Yeah. And usually you have other issues that they're worried about, and then put you in a chair with the psoas in a flexed position. So by the time we get a prosthetic on you, it's already constricted. And... It, so you put a prosthetic on and it hyperextends the back. It jams those facets. 
So what we try to do is get early on, try to get that femur to the, the, the femur to extend. Um, I've wrote a few articles on this several years back with some really good illustrations of it. Um, it's like a severe representation of like hallux rigidus. There's just no way to clear the yeah. ground. So yeah, it's, clear, yeah. Yes. And I, that's another interest of mine as well. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to get it to release. And if once it, once it's, con, it's, you have constrictions, it's, it's not going to undo. So yeah. you build the orthotic around it. Do we have, do we have enough time away from, from these uh, soldiers experiencing this trauma and these injuries? Do we have enough time away to see what long-term effects it has on them as far as like back pain, hip degeneration, you know, acetabular, the need for hip replacements, things like that? Um, yeah, in fact, we, we know what we're after, what we're concerned with is the good leg, the good leg, because that's what we don't want people yeah. to hop around on one leg. Oh and, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And so for me, these are war injuries. So they're healthy people. Most, most amputees are, you know, are diabetic neuropathies. That's right. So, um, so for you take somebody healthy, a bomb goes off. Well, the good legs, you know, probably been damaged and the bad legs gone. So their knees were out faster, their hips were out faster, and frequently you know, that they'll end up getting hip replacements and knee replacements at an accelerated rate on their good leg. So you're talking about uh, people getting into their 40s now. Yeah. Almost. And I've gotten, I was saying, Productive people. some of my patients, and um, you know, there's, there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of baggage with this. Dude, Yes. Oh, dude, Dr. Morgan, yes. <laughs> From the West Coast, we still say dude with everything. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I've, I, I, I've been in the service for a, per- a short period of time. My brother was in Fallujah. He's, he's definitely seen more of the war than anybody else in my family. My sister was a Marine. Um, I come from a, a military background. And, and the, those things, you know, like my brother still sleeps on the floor if he sleeps in a house at all, I've treated veterans where, you, you know, you have to keep the door open for an old Vietnam vet. You're not going to close the door. They're going to always sort of have their eyes on, on the door. <laughs> yeah. They're back to the wall, back to the wall, the those sort of things. My wife still laughs at me that when I sit in a restaurant, I have to see the door. So I always sit with my face to the door and things like that. I mean, these are things that the brain is so amazing and so powerful in the way that it gears us for survival in our own special different ways. When I try to evaluate a patient, I'm trying to say, what is their brain? What's the ghost in the machine trying to do for this person to keep them going? I try to talk to that thing. For, for uh, PTSD, and actually we want to remove the word D, D disorder, post-traumatic yeah. stress. Yeah. It's normal. But things that somebody gets with post-traumatic stress are normal. If, for example, you were in an Indian tribe in Texas a thousand years ago, and you're hunting buffalo, and a wolf pack decides your tribe is their primary food source. What's <laughs> going to happen? You're going to be hyper irritable, very combatant. You're going to be easily dis- uh, um, woke. You'll have sleep dis- disturbances. You'll be aroused quickly. And you're going to be able to, all these things are good because it makes you more reactive to fight off the wolves. Right. So what will happen is the wolves move on. You will go back to your, your baseline. Well, we find that, there's a, there's a point where if you're in that zone too long, it doesn't ever turn off. That's where Vietnam left so many people with problems because they would go, people would go over there for 13 months at a whack, constant stress. They come home and also we, we'd fly them over by themselves. They replace somebody in a unit. The unit stayed there for 10 years. 
fly back by yourself, not as a no cohesive unit, no support group, no Facebook to go with, they come back and they, they have PTSD. In World War II, the longest anybody had been in combat from U.S. troops was nine months. So we had le a lot, much less people had PTSD from World War II than Vietnam. We, and we, what we found in this war was special operative groups, spe SEALs, Green Berets, Recon, didn't get PTSD. No, nope, they sure didn't. The grunts did because the grunts would be there for 13 months. SEALs go, and, and special forces go over for six months. So there's a sweet spot in there. It might we might find in the future that you can go for seven months, but then you have to pull the folks back. You can't leave them in, in a combat zone that long. Yeah, I read another study that was really interesting about that. And the the special operators didn't get much PTSD because they they had chosen it. They had yeah. chosen combat, and the service the service troops, the medics, and things like that tend to experience more PTSD because they didn't necessarily choose a combat role. They were put in it. Mm -hmm. And they saw more than they had sort of bargained for. Maybe they even liked it. They, but, yeah. um, the uh, and I have a son who's in, in special warfare right now. But the uh, you're you're exactly right. And we find that like if you're a single parent and you're behind on your bills and you're you get deployed, you're trying to find places for your three kids. That person it takes a much lower dose to give them PTSD. Their threshold is diminished. And if if you throw a, a TBI in there, it's even diminished more. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. Yeah. And then they come back and they're us again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like just switch that off buddy and let's get you a job at a bank. Oh yeah. <laughs> what happens? They all want to go back. Yeah. So yeah, what happens yeah. is you go back to the war zone, you're normal. All those, all those attributes are now beneficial. Just like well, the Indians, you know, you're basically hyper irritable, you're aggressive, you're combatant. That's, they go back, they feel normal. They feel, they feel admirable with their, with their family. My, um, I think I can probably say this because I don't think anyone would know my brother-in-law and I'm, I won't mention any names, but when he came back from Iraq, I think he was an Af I think he did a couple tours, but he was a SEAL and uh, he came back and we were having a family dinner and you know, it's like the, the kids need the diapers changed and it's time to switch out bottles and it's playtime. And he looked at the, all the other guys cause we were outside and he's like, man, when I was out in the desert, I was responsible for millions of dollars of the most awesome equipment in the world and men looked up to me and I was changing the face of the of the planet and the direction of the country and I come back here and I got to change diapers <laughs> like he he could you couldn't get him back into a war zone fast enough yeah they, and it's still like that I mean we're we're now 10 years removed or so and he still would die to go back with his boys and do some important stuff I just been out in West Texas and uh, I like to shoot a little bit. So had a couple of rifles built, had a SF guy building this rifle. He had strong symptoms of PTSD. And, you know, one of the things is it's just, he couldn't, he couldn't put it into the conversation. As soon as he picked up the rifles, I mean, he was, he was all <laughs> over the place. As soon as he picked up the rifles, started shooting. Um, he, he was a normal guy. It was amazing. It was, a, it was a metamorphosis. This was immediate. It's like, wow, this guy's back in the zone. He's back. He's back in Iraq or Afghanistan right now. As soon as we picked up the rifle, and in fact, at Walter Reed, we actually had a, a uh, simulation rifle range in, in, in our FET center, in our traumatic brain center. So you put guys out, and we put them in video, put them back in, in, in the zone, and they pick up an M60. It's got pneumatics, so it feels like an M60 firing, laser, laser pointing, so that some of the therapy is you have them shoot, and you put them in a war zone, and they go back to being normal. It's crazy. It's uh, and then you bring them back from that. 
as slowly. It's, there, there's experimental therapies there that, you know, it's, they're willing to try anything. And that's one of those right. therapies. Like what you took somebody who's got battle fatigue and now you're putting them back into a scenario where he's shooting machine guns and reacting to stresses in a, in a controlled environment and it's therapeutic. You, I mean, you got to respect the, uh, uh, the DOD and, and the VA and, and, you know, they always catch a hard break, but man, they, they will do whatever it takes if they have to. I always hear people giving the VA a hard time and I go, I still get my healthcare from the VA and I, it's just like, you guys are doing an amazing job. It's almost like I have to stop my doctor at the VA and say, please keep doing what you're doing. This is really, really important stuff. Well, it, and they're it, like, dude, really, you don't have any problems. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's not about me. I just see what you're doing. It, it matters. Please keep doing it. It does matter. And, and when you take money out of the equation, like at Walter Reed, they couldn't get enough chiropractic. They would say, yeah. I had so many patients coming down for so many different complaints, not musculoskeletal. You know, I was having people for health, just regular health issues. Hey, we're having trouble with this person. Maybe there's something you could do. We heard chiropractic can help with, with visceral problems as well. Let's try this. Okay, let's do a trial treatment. See what happens. And we, we would get all sorts of those. And, you know, and we would help some. We wouldn't help all. But, you know, it was, uh, we gave them love whenever they, whenever they were there. Ah, it's funny you mentioned love, president of Parker University. What have you learned about the Parker principles since you've been oh, there? How have they changed you? It's awesome you would ask. Tomorrow, we close the university down on, on once a year, and it's usually around the, the, the birthday for chiropractic, which is also around the birthday for Jim Parker. And we close it down, and we go out, a thousand of us go out tomorrow, and we're going to go and, and volunteer at other charities around Dallas and Fort Worth. and really live out that we we truly want people to, to come here who understand it is about loving service to other people that it's not doctor centric or civilization centric it's patient centric care we provide care that then put the patient at the center of it and if you're not willing to go out and just volunteer and help others then, you know we, then you're probably not going to be a good doctor right totally and there's a st- study came out the alameda study showed that those who who gave of themselves who would not, not write a check, but would roll up their sleeves and go volunteer. They had better health outcomes. Their blood pressure was better. They were healthier. They lived longer. They had greater spiritual self satisfaction themselves. And also I think um, it's, it shows that we have a life of abundance. When you can give back your, there's something inside you that realizes I have abundance and it is part of, it's part of being a healer too, is, is to do it in a spirit of love. Uh, we, I think exercising that gratitude is really important. We try to instill that in the kids as much as we can. And it's, I, I've seen it in students because I still sort of fondly remember being a student and so many students, bless their hearts, nose to the grindstone. How am I going to get paid? And, and, you know, those are, those matter. And they, those things even probably matter more now that uh, their rates, their loan rates are higher than they used to be back in the day. But the rules still don't change. You still have to be thinking of other people first. Um, I had somebody yeah, ask I, me the other day, like, so should I join Rotary so that I can get new patients? I said, no, do not join Rotary to get new patients. You join Rotary or the Kiwanis or the Elks or any of those other things to be involved in your community and to give back. If you yeah. get patients out of that, that's awesome. But you do it to serve first. You, if, you, if you dive in and you 
be a, become a productive member of your your community, you don't have to worry about your practice. Absolutely they true. You can tell if you're doing it just to get something from them. If they can not, smell you coming. They're like, they well, I know what that guy's here. But if you're giving to that, that you're, you're part of that community, that community will give back to you and, and they will share the love with you too. Why did Parker, so specifically, maybe it was Jim Parker specifically, or maybe it was the college in general. I don't know the history that well. Why did they decide to go the seminar route as well? Well, it's Parker. the other way around. Okay. Jim, Jim Parker had dozens of clinics that he had put together. He, he, he opened, I think it was opened one clinic a month for 18 months. Um, he was, this guy wrote the book. You're too young to know who Jim Parker was. But um, so he had systems for everything. So people started paying him. They would pay him, you know, 10,000 bucks to come up. This is back when that's a lot of money up in Massachusetts. Yeah. Tell us how you do it. And he would give sim that. And he finally started having seminars. He's been having the seminars started 66 years ago. But when I was in practice, everybody used, this is before computers, he had these pegboard systems of accounting invented by Jim Parker cluster booking ways to do your appointments. Um, most of the things that you would take for granted that you would have in your practice, he invented them, you know, our appointment books and our pointing systems and, and even the come back, you know, every day for the first week and you know, three times a week for the, the next three weeks. That's a Jim Parker that came from him. He's the one who had the, who really came out with these programs of return visits. So I remember we were struggling along with our practice, my wife and I, she was pregnant and uh, we scraped up the money this is back in 1989. I think it was $600. Went to Vegas, drove my old rusty pickup to Las Vegas. <laughs> and I needed to understand how to run a business. Yeah. And um, I went there and I wrote down everything. And they, you're, and back in the day, if you, you, you were a brown bagger, you first showed up, he had a series of seminars and he had like 20 tracks. You go to this first, this first track, your first year, second track the next year. So basically he took you through the process of being a master um, businessman, but you, you had to learn the basics and you did. How, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, you know, he'd have, you know, how would you schedule patients? How do you do billing? How do you program, you know, and what's cluster booking and all these different things that, that I didn't know. I, I knew how to adjust people from my education, but I didn't know how to run a business. So Jim Parker, he wanted to, so he had this business, this business where he had the seminars. He wanted to have a college that taught those, those business principles. And he started this, this, this university from his own ah. coffers. He started it. And here we are 36 years later, we're debt free. We're, I won't say what we have in our endowment. We're doing pretty good. We're full. We had one of the biggest classes we've ever had just started even from the times Jim was here. Um, and, uh, just, you know, it's, we, we like to honor Jim Parker and his principle of loving service and giving back to society. And also he, he had a lot of principles like you, the world is basically the world is, you see the world as you are, not how it is. Yeah. So if you're a bitter, angry, vindictive person, that's what the, the world that you'll see is. But if the world's beautiful and full of love, that means that you're probably, you know, a beautiful personality and full of love and you see that in the world around you. It's interesting to hear some chiropractic history that's not sort of Palmer centric. You know, I, I believe that there's this tremendous uh, amount of beautiful and ins inspirational chiropractic history. If we were able to just sort of discuss history that w wasn't Palmer centric, you know, if we were mm -hmm. able to talk about salon Langworthy, 
that's, that's oh, yeah. his name's Swan Langworthy. If we were able to talk about Oakley or any of these other folks, Parker, uh, um, all the people out in Portland, Oregon that sort of started the multiple colleges that became the University of Western States, uh, the, the colleges oh, out on the East Coast. That was D.D. Palmer, though, too, wasn't it? And D.D. Palmer, and I, yeah, he did. He started a, a, a chiropractic college in 1904, I believe, in, in Portland, Oregon, which was an interesting one. Now, the historians don't want to talk about that one because his firm belief at that point in time was that a chiropractor should be doing every single thing that a medical doctor can do. Um, and and you, show that, you show that quote, and it makes people a little nervous. But it leads to where Oregon got its scope of practice, which is so open compared to other states. It's one of the reasons. In the archives at Palmer, I, used to, I was in the board of, of Palmer for 10 years, board of trustees. And in the archives, they actually have script, a med script from D.D. Palmer, writing script for meds. <laughs> you know, that's the stuff. I, uh, David Seaman said that every chiropractor should make it at least one trip to, to Davenport and go through uh, Palmer and, and look at the old mansion and look at all the artifacts and look through some manuscripts if they let you touch them. Oh, I agree. And See you what the first chiropractic adjustment was? It's, it's, it, it's moving. And I remember the first time I went there. Have you been there? No, no, I haven't. No, you you got to do it. Just like you, my friend, uh, <laughs> a Californian thinking about going to Davenport, Iowa, it's, it's not always the most enticing idea. It's but I will. I will. Oh, I highly recommend it. It's, uh, my, my dear friend, uh, Anthony Alisi, I remember and he had never been there. He was also a Palmer Wester. He, Anthony runs the VA benefit. And I remember him getting kind of choked up seeing the statues of the founders there. It's like, you know, he's, he's a researcher, evidence-based guy. And, you know, he was moved. And it's, it is moving that, you know, this is our foundation. This is our history. We need to honor them. You know, you know evidence moves forward. You know, we don't worship yeah. the science that, you know, that was from, 200, from 150 years ago. We, but we do honor, you know, someone who, who created, like I honor Jim Parker. I'm very grateful for everything he's done. We wouldn't be here today and have this great university. And D.D. Palmer, too, to create a profession, an awesome profession. They does so much good for the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, boss, I got a great way to segue this. So I'm, I'm segueing. Let me, let me work here. Um, I've been reading uh, the professor, Jordan Peterson, pro professor of psychology, University of Toronto. I, he's a political, there's arguments about him politically, but his writings are pretty sound from his expertise in psychology. And me and my, my wife, we went and watched a lecture of his a couple of weeks ago. It was about a month or so ago. And somebody asked about marriage. Or, or It was marriage, and I think it was a political question at the same time. This is Portland, Oregon. It gets confusing like that. And, and what Dr. Peterson said was, well, you can't get rid of, say, the Democrats. The, the Democrats can't get rid of the Republicans. The Republicans can't get rid of the Democrats. You guys are in, in extra – you guys are linked. And we'll, I won't be able to think of that word right now. No matter what you think about it, it's a two-headed beast and you're linked. And the same thing with the, with the traditional marriage. It's a husband and a wife or two partners, two spouses, and you are linked. But what traditionally you would do is you would be linked under a higher ideal or a higher meaning. So the Democrats and the Republicans can fight all they want, but the higher meaning would always be to make the country a great place or a husband and a spouse can always have disagreements or a husband and wife or any, any spouses can have disagreements, but they always should be married under a higher ideal. And that's why people tend to get married under an altar, right? Or holding a candle above their heads, whatever your tradition is. And it really got me thinking, all I could think about was chiropractic when he was talking about this. So that there's once again, these two heels of the bread, right? 
And if you talk to one heel about the other heel, they're going to turn up their, their eyes and they're going to be disgusted and whatnot and so forth. And then there's the bread in the middle. And it's sort of like if we had a higher ideal for chiropractic that we all sort of focused on a higher, an altar, a, a, a candle or, or a, a pinnacle to the triangle where one side of the profession, the other side said, yes, we do disagree with each other and how we approach it, but we are trying to go in this one general direction together we can get somewhere. If we did that, uh, an evidence-based guy, like I'm not as hardcore evidence-based as I think I used to be, but let's take someone who's really hardcore and, and they're sort of closed off. They're certain about the evidence. <laughs> and you take them to Palmer and have them walk around, it's going to soften them up a bit, right? Oh, yeah. You take somebody who is on the other side of the bread and they are certain about what they're certain about and the evidence is bad. You know, if you want to study evidence, go be a medical doctor. It's like, no, evidence is valuable for all of us. You show them how evidence can verify what they do in their practice, good evidence, and soften them up a little bit. And then this little thing happened where I went to Parker seminars last year. I go, dude, this is it. This is it. You can do this. You can do this. You can, you can make this higher ideal where these two groups come together and realize we're in the same, we're on the same journey. You know what I mean? That was my segue. That's it. I, here's, here's, and here's the, the message. Here's what we can, we can all get underneath is the basic premise of chiropractic is to remove the barrier to good health. Yeah. Conservatively, and, holistically. And, 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 of course, for D.D. Palmer, he removed the barrier with adjusting the subluxation, and that's removing the barrier to health in his mind. And, and, but also, if it, if it works for him, that patient, that's what they need. If it, that person has emotion dysfunction or they're obese, you re, helping them lose weight might be the removing the barrier to good health. Having them stop drinking alcohol might be removing the barrier to good health. If, if we all agree, chiropractors, our basic premise is we remove the barrier to good health, then Craig Levinson, what he does is exactly that. What you're doing, what somebody who's, who's adjusting somebody who's, who's a straight practice, they're there to remove the barrier to good health. We all agree on that basic premise, and we move forward, and we, we shake hands. At, at the end of the day, we're friends. I remember when I was younger, though, there'd be straights and mixtures, and, oh, you're straight, you're mixed. Yeah, it's, it wasn't the hate and discontent that you see now. It's like, well, everybody's it's, segregated. You, you know, they go to their conferences. We go to our conferences. Mm-hmm. They never the, the, the twain mix. And you don't understand that there are good people on both sides of the, the fence here. Well, they mix a little bit at Parker, I'd say. Um, That's what I'm talking about, my friend. Here's, here's an interesting story. Um, there's this young couple, very vitalistic, very belie- much believed in chiropractic. And, um, you know, they're started off as upper cervical practitioners. And they had a baby. And the baby kept getting ear infections. And they didn't believe in, 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 in uh, medicine. They kept adjusting that baby. And the infections, you know, kept going on. Not baby wouldn't get better. And, uh, you know, finally this baby developed something called pandas, which is from a strep infection that affects the basal ganglia of the brain, something that could easily have been treated with, um, you know, probably five to seven day course of of antibiotics, a real simple antibiotic. So this couple, very straight chiropractors, um, they're living their life this way. And they realize that if we brought this baby to the doctor, they wouldn't have this tick disorder that persisted later in life and writhing ticks and obsessive compulsive disorder. So 
that this, you know, it softened that couple's heart from being extremely straight, very vitalistic in their orientation to the couple that my wife and I are today. Um, oh. That was me. Oh. And you talked about if you aren't humble, your life will be humbled. That's what happens. So, um, cause then you look in and then you look out, right? Cause then you go, Oh, oh yeah. I've been, I've been giving know, that. Gladly evidently. taking my son in and getting those antibiotics in retrospect. And there's a, there's a, there's a place and a time for everything. Um, and you know, like I said, if you're, if you're harsh in your ideals, you will be humbled. Um, if you're not open-minded, you will, you be, you know, you will become humble. You guys have been on quite a journey, haven't you? Yeah. Um, tell me about this mission with uh, Parker Seminars. Well, Parker Seminars is um, had its ups and downs. It's you know I, I, when I was there in 1989, there were 7,700 chiropractors in that room. Ten percent of all the chiropractors in the world were in that room. Um, of course, there was no other seminars in town, so a lot of people, most of the practice management gurus, they went st- went to Jim Parker, learned learned about uh, practice management, stole his techniques, and opened up their own their own system. Um, and from there, it's it's it's, it's co- most of the stuff is common knowledge, and and like I said, the the principles um, that he had, and he had a really interesting way of looking at the world of the the, the, the art of the science being naturally right. Of, of about abundance and you know he had this a uh, you know belief in, in um, you know attraction the law of attraction um, and it's, it's, it's morphed over the years where he would have those similar 7700 people and they charge probably t- twice of what I'm charging now and the room is full of people and there's no CE so now we yeah. offer CE and it, so Jim Parker would bring um, back in the day Stars like Ronald Reagan, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Bob Hope, they would come and speak to the guest speakers, and then he would teach them business principles and chiropractic philosophy. Um, and then as the years go by, it's dwindled down. Jim Parker's gone, um, and they would stop bringing the stars in, and people would still come. And then they started taking on um, sponsor speakers that companies would sponsor a speaker, or they would self-sponsor a, a practice management person would put himself on stage or herself on stage so that now you're having just commercials going on commercials. I've done away with that. We don't have any sponsored speakers. We choose people because there's a value and the the attendees want it. So we listen to the attendees. So we have this year, we have a science track. We have Stu McGill. We have McKinsey Institute. Craig Lieberson's going to be there on a science track. Then we have um, a a academic, I mean, a uh, chiropractic technique. It has chiropractic techniques and science. We have a business track and a CA track, and this is Vegas. Our, our next seminar is in two weeks, and it's on campus. Um, we have nine tracks for that, and we have something for everybody. Lots of technique, lot, lots of science. We have um, you know, how to run a, a chiropractic office with a gym attached. We have a functional, functional screening assessments, just lots of things like that. But anyway, we're trying to provide tools to allow chiropractors to be more successful. And when you come, we're, we're bringing, um, we always, and I'm going back to the Jim Parker playbook of bringing in stars. So we have uh, Damon John from Shark Tank will be speaking in our Las Vegas seminar. We have Cal Ripken, the Iron Man of baseball, will be speaking at Las Vegas this year. Um, as, as I said, the superstars in, in Spine Care, uh, uh, Stu McGill and many others will be there. Um, so it's, 
you know, we're trying to have a world-class event and we have, you know, we have a very large, it's the largest gathering of chiropractors in the world. Um, and then we have a very large showroom as you, as you know, and we're, you know, we try to keep it upbeat. Um, you know, I try to stay away from controversial subjects that, you know, might be downers. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. We want people to come back and be, you know, proud to be a chiropractor, that their CAs come with them and like, wow, chiropractor is awesome. We're so glad to be part of this, this, this profession. So we have, you know, CAs come there and just like the days of Jim Parker, you bring your whole office, you all, you're all on the same page. Like, yeah, this is what we're doing. We, we, we're upbeat, we're, we're helping the world and, you know, we're bringing that, that enthusiasm and knowledge, not just enthusiasm, but enthusiasm and knowledge back to the practice to be successful on Monday morning. Um, I'm bringing friends, uh, this time I'm bringing a lot of friends. Give me a party. It's, it's a party. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, and also I like Jim Parker was a flamboyant dresser. So I always like <laughs> crazy jackets, you know, and I try to be Jim Parker after six where you have these, you know, Paisley psychedelic, you know, tuxedo jackets and, uh, just have a, have a good time with yeah, that. You just need the, the thick glasses and you'll be good to go. Heading that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, talking to you, there's no way to ever encapsulate this, this career. You sent me a CV that I just had to laugh. It just kept going. <laughs> um, when you talk to students, like if you can encapsulate with, with these students, because they, they're going to look up to you. I don't know how much of your day you spend with the students. I got to say, as an editorial piece, I don't think I ever saw my chiropractic college president until I grabbed my diploma at the end. The, the, the newer one, there was an older one that took me under his wing, so I don't know which, which role you play there. Um, but, but when you talk to them, what are the things you're trying to let them know? What is, what is the thing where you're like, Joe student, Jane student, you know, I, I need you to understand this piece so you can be successful when you go well, into your career, I remind them that they're, they're no longer undergrad. They're yeah. doctors in training and that you judge your, you judge this material, not, you don't just learn it. You judge it. If yeah. somebody's saying something, you're entitled to challenge them. And in fact, I, I'm, they're, they're, they're all coming to our seminar here on campus in a few weeks. And I told them, watch how the, the graduates treat me, how different they treat me at one year out, two year. And their confidence is so much higher. Again, I, I try to encourage them, don't be certain, don't kill your curiosity, because when you're certain, you don't need to learn anymore. Keep your curiosity, but you're, you should really have a high level of confidence, but also critical thinking. Just because that person's in the front of the desk as an instructor doesn't mean they're right. And we have, we record all of our lectures and they can go back a year later and review the, up to a year later and review their lectures. And, you know, they can go, they can go back and challenge them on things like that. We, we like to have intellectual discussions, but, um, you know, I want them to think like they're doctors. And we also, um, we want to master the adjustment. You know, we, we're, we believe in active care. We have a functional fitness gym here in adaptive sports. We help with that as well. And we're super building a neurological, a uh, neurocenter. We hope to be, to be a neurocenter of excellence. But I have, you know, I can screw up in a lot of things, Bobby. But if they get out of here and they can't adjust, I've failed. Yeah. So I'm at. So we have every lunchtime, every every afternoon after school, our adjusting labs has two instructors over there, and you can walk over there and get tutorage on adjusting. Like right now, there's somebody over there and their students, probably five to 10 students, if, you know, the stage of the game, 
getting tutorage on how to be a, a good adjuster. You just bring your partner over there. But what we do is we, they, we sign a disclaimer, we do an examination, we, have a, you know, we do it right under, under supervision. And uh, so with that, we're, we're really ha having them pursue the, the craft to, to the next level. It is. It's a subtle le level, a little bit lower than the level of debate where some people think it's not that important. It's just another technique. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of inspiration from the physical therapy field in our profession now, and you see them sort of semi using it. But I got to tell you, if you're listening to this and you've never seen a patient before, which means you're a student or somebody waiting for a license or, or somebody who just graduated, people are choosing you because they're choosing to be adjusted. They are out there. And when, when you put chiropractic in your name, they automatically assume that that's what you're going to do. You got, you just, it's just the one thing where you have to be excellent at it. You have yeah, to be. I, I believe in active care and nutrition and anything you can do to get them better, but you better be a really good adjuster. You that's, can be, you can be bum, at bumper bowling you, yeah. with rehab and with nutrition and with all these other, uh, uh, things that you can apply to your practice is bumper bowling. You get the ball rolling, it's going to bounce from one okay. side to another. Eventually it's going to hit the pins and you're going to be all right. And then you get better and better. But when you come out of the gates, uh, this part, this, this part where you have to neurologically understand what to do with your body and how to get a response out of somebody else's, you got to be good at it. And it takes a lot of practice. I agree. And, and I am not certain, but I'm very confident that I'm good at it. So you're taking advice from somebody who knows they can adjust the spine. Well, it's, it's, you know, I've always had the goal to become a master clinician and, you know, hopefully one day it's, it's, I've spent my whole life trying to master the adjustment, being a good chiropractor. And, and, you know, I know some states would like to have prescription privileges. I'm like, you know, mastering that would be a yeah, problem. Dude. Yeah. I can't master being a chiropractor. So you know, when, I, when I'm the best suggestion in the world, then I'll look at that. But I'm far from that. People, that, that's such a metaphor for people. It's sort of like, uh, it's the grass is greener sort of thing. You, yeah, you wouldn't, that's a Pandora's box, I think. Yeah, the science right now is in the favor of not doing drugs. Why pursue yeah. it? And, I, and this, that's, straight, that's not even a philosophy issue. It's like the world, I, I have, I have doc, hospitals and doctors, they know they need to change their practice and they're coming to us. They want chiropractors in their healthcare system because they, they've been reading the research. It's this, and, and you hear me talk about NSAIDs. NSAIDs, NSAIDs kill more people every, every year than AIDS does. It's, and, and that's, that's not even opiates. Um, it's, yeah. they're, they're, and they're terrible for you. Yeah, they're, yeah, totally. It, it's, it's like, um, Man, I, I just forgot my metaphor, but it, it, it's, it's, man, it's just like, you know, I get it. Like there are probably a, a small subset of chiropractors that would be excellent as physicians who could prescribe medications, prescription medications. There's like a small subset. So say 5%, 95% are not equipped whatsoever, no matter how you school them up. It's just not going to happen. Not at this level of mastery that you would want to deliver to a patient population you cared about. On the other side no. of the fence, yeah, there are probably some physicians that are not very good at their job, but I would say, what, 80 to 90% of them are excellent at their job or really good at it? Let them okay. do their job. You be the 90% that is really good at your job, and everything will take care of itself. Just understand so, and love what your job is, and you'll be fine. Walter Reed, 2,000 providers, three chiropractors, 
You think they needed us to write script? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't need anybody to write script. They needed somebody to do, give them an alternative because these other folks, I had, I, had a, I had a physical medicine doctor spend a day watching me treat patients. And he told me in, at the hospital, he goes, you know, doc, I kind of wish I didn't have prescription privileges. I spend my entire day arguing with my patients about their, their pain meds. Yeah. And you the, 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 the source of their problem because it's not even on the table for you. Yeah, the mastery is in the listening. It's in it's the listening skills in oh, true. the old Kenny Rogers, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. They'll you know? tell you what's wrong. If you listen to a patient, if you know how to listen to a patient, they'll tell you what's wrong. And most medical doctors have already decided what's wrong with you within 30 to 60 seconds after you're talking. Yeah, we had that um, to close this out at Western States. We had this uh, a deal with Oregon Health and Science University. What they had discovered was the medical. So, so they, I'm not sure if it was a published piece of research or just an experiment they did, but they had an actor who pretended they had some sort of disease, and each one of these practitioners had to go in and then inform the patient of the disease. And you know, it's like you know, can't you have bone cancer? So the medical student would walk in and be like, uh, you know, you have bone cancer. Pat him on the shoulder hand them a brochure and say, if you have any questions, give us a call. On to the next patient. The chiropractic student would go in and most of them wouldn't even hand them the brochure. They would sit and talk to him. They'd explain the condition. They'd give him a hug. They would say, do you need any other help? You can always call me if you want. What else can we do for you? And this happened over and over again. And I think OHSU saw, oh, we have a real problem. Our, Our students aren't very empathetic. And that empathy combined with your therapy is going to put you so many light years ahead of practitioners who don't understand empathy. So, and that's why when Parker does these things like these gratitude weekends, uh, it's very important because when you go out and you, and you give to your community, you start to have empathy for the people who live in it. And then you can deliver that back in your office. And then you adjust them. And then it's like, bah, through the oh, roof. Yeah. So trifecta, baby. Trifecta, so. baby. Um, <laughs> I want to say thank you, Parker, um, for sponsoring this podcast. Well, thank you. And thanks for everything you do, Bobby. It's, 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 it's a great resource for the chiropractors out there. It's a great place to rally and, and share things. It's, it's, it's interesting to hear some of the discussions. And, of course, people have fun with the memes and some of the comments. You know, it gets, gets kind of crazy. Yeah, it, the, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance on Facebook, you, people, you got to understand that it's social media. And yeah. so there's like a, a layer of inhibition that's removed from a lot of people. So they say things that you wouldn't say to each other's face. And that's why you have to go to Parker seminars because then you meet somebody. Um, I think there was one or two when I went this last year. And there are people that had beef with me on Facebook. And I walked right up to him. I shook their hand. I said, I'm who I am. And their eyes got big like saucers. Then they realized, oh, we're face to face. We're humans. We can have a conversation. Yeah. But also for those who don't know you, you're a very big man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a whoop some ass. No, I'm a big teddy bear, man. Big teddy bear. But I believe that we can all get somewhere together. And I think some people are shocked with this podcast that it's not as confrontational as maybe they would like it to be. But you didn't really... You know, Bill Morgan said the word subluxation. You'd stick him to the wall for that. No, I shouldn't. It's an open conversation. It's it's part of our heritage and it's it's got historical significance for us. Uh, let's talk about it. <laughs> here's, here's something for folks that, um, and I, I mentioned this in Europe. Um, you'll never hear any college president or anybody in authority bad, bad mouth subluxation because we that's our legislative. You know, our Medicare, we're, we, that's what we treat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if somebody spoke ill of that of that lesion, that would probably be used against us in testimony. So, um, you know, it's 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 our word. It's and you know, if you if you, if you listen to my podcast with with Brian Budgel, who's a PhD chiropractor oh, and a yeah. linguist. Um, we have that really interesting concept about the word subluxation. It's a good word. Most of our words that we use, they're, you know, we define what they mean. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of how you use it. You know, if, if, if you're patient centric versus lesion centric, um, it's, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, I think these rational conversations, if this podcast does anything, hopefully it brings a rational conversation around a lot of these things. You see a lot of people with uh, Craig Liebenson who are, they know Craig is really, really rehab-centric, but then when he talks, oh, oh, maybe I've made some assumptions. Maybe he's got some deeper thoughts going here. Maybe he learned from a different path. And, and that's hopefully what, what this podcast becomes, is we can have conversations about these things and, and make sense and have rational, critical thinking conversations about it and then have fun while we're doing it. Amen. Because I had fun with you. I wish I was a student all over again. Uh, when I was living in Wichita Falls, Texas, I think oh. moving on down to Dallas would have been a really easy right out of the Air Force, go right on down to Dallas, just like you went from the north of the Bay Area right down to the South Bay for Palmer West. Yep. Um, but I'm a West Coast boy. I'm sorry, my friend. Oh, I, yeah, I like, I like the West Coast too, but I love Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Texas is awesome. It is pretty awesome. When, when you're there, it's like winning Rome. Just be a Texan and everything's going to work out just oh, fine. Yeah. I'm all in. Um, I got nothing else. This was an awesome podcast. We probably went over an hour. So um, I know that I could talk to you forever and ever, but you're a busy man uh, with all your leather chairs and your fine mahogany <laughs> bookcases and you've made it you've made it in the world but you did it the right way you did it by being authentic and caring and uh, being a master of your craft so i appreciate you you're definitely one to look up to thank you bobby thanks for having me absolutely i'm stopping the recording now all right everybody that was our interview with dr william morgan It would not be Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, without finishing on the pain zone finish. Dun, dun, dun. This is where we summarize and we close out the podcast via our sponsors, Pain Zone. Don't be silly, everybody. Let's get yourselves on over to ipainzone.com. Get some samples. Joe and all the other folks over at MedZone and Pain Zone, they are extremely dedicated to make sure that the evidence-based chiropractic profession is successful and they will do whatever they can to help you be successful as well. So you don't know until you try. Get on over there and check it out. I do not have a summary for my interview with Dr. William Morgan. I think it summarizes itself. He is a paragon in the profession, as is his wife, Claire. They have done great work. You have to understand if you're a young chiropractor that you stand upon the shoulders of giants and they have paved a way for you to do amazing things. It is up to you to take on that challenge and do great things. And there's no better role model for that than Dr. William Morgan. I'll see you next time on Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Take care.